The 2023 football season for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish is here. Fall camp officially kicks off tomorrow morning, and today we've got you covered with a full preview, including the biggest question marks, most intriguing players to watch, and so much more on this edition of Locked On Irish. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up? Welcome to Locked On Irish. Today is Tuesday, July 25th, and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. You can watch this episode as well as every other episode on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're watching or listening, please take a moment to hit that subscribe button. My name is Tyler Wojcik, and I'm the host. I graduated from Notre Dame in 2018, and I'm a producer covering college football at the Fox Sports headquarters in L.A. I've also been podcasting about the Irish since 2020. Today, we've got Notre Dame beat writer Pete Sampson from The Athletic on the show to preview fall camp. The first practice of the preseason kicks off tomorrow, and who better to have on to talk about all the action than the best writer on the Notre Dame beat? We covered a bunch of different topics, including some story time at the end, so let's get right into it. Here's Pete. All right, Pete Sampson, Notre Dame beat writer for The Athletic, joins us here for the first time on Locked on Irish. Pete, I'm excited to have you on to talk about the start of fall camp. But first, I've got to ask you a question about recruiting before we dive into everything else because the Irish got some really big news on Sunday when four-star linebacker Kingston Viliamu Asa announced his pledge to the Irish. What was your reaction when you found out? Uh, it was like a, a smaller version of Manti Teo in, in terms of like, you know, you don't get Notre Dame doesn't get a whole lot of surprises in recruiting that are good. It feels like <laughs> in terms of the announcements. So it, this, this was one of those. And then if you followed his story at all, the kid with the, you know, four plus two GPA faith, very important. Um, you know, Notre Dame, I thought did an excellent job recruiting him, not just connecting him with guys like Manti or Jalen Smith, but also like Tom Mendoza and, you know, basically did the whole like life after football pitch that the kid really took to. Um, and so it's like, when you get all that together, there just aren't that many kids like that. Like Marcus Freeman talks about choose hard all the time. Well, like, I don't know about you, but like when in high school, like choose hard was like, no thanks. Um, especially if I could run like a four, two, or I could bench 400 pounds, like I probably wouldn't be choosing hard. So, uh, there aren't that many guys like that. So you have to get the ones that are out there. And so I, I think getting Kingston was just, it was huge from a perception standpoint because recruiting it sort of, you know, flagged a little bit here, but I think it was also huge from like, there just aren't that many guys out there like him and you, you gotta, you gotta land them when they pop up. Yeah. I had that thought on Sunday when I was going through it because when Justin Scott was being recruited, everyone was like, well, this is the can't miss one because he's from Chicago. But then as you learn more about KVA, he kind of felt like more of a can't miss because you're thinking, okay, very academic oriented, deeply religious, willing to move out to the Midwest, has this great connection with the staff. I kind of the thought there was like, if he doesn't commit, then who is? But it looks like Notre Dame is not going to have to worry about that. Did you see uh, your uh, podcast co-host Tim Priester called him a bigger, faster, stronger Manti Teo? Are you ready uh, yeah, to go that far? No, uh, I was I was unable to join that podcast. I think it would have stopped Priester uh, in his audio tracks at, in that moment. Because like, could he be faster than Manti? Sure, but I I think we're going to talk about first impressions of Hall Camp later. Uh, Manti Teo's first practice was high on my list of like, holy cow, that guy that is just a ripped dude. Um, where like, 
his his biceps and tries were like most people's quads. Um, <laughs> Kingston is not not that big, but he is he is a very special athlete. All right, let's talk about fall camp. Um, this will be your 23rd fall camp on the Notre Dame beat. And I realize your access to all the practices is somewhat limited. But after doing this for so many years, how good do you think you can get at predicting how the team will do during the season based on what you're able to see in these practices? Mm, I I think pretty good. Um, you know, I, I would I'd be lying if I said, like, I saw 2007 coming based on the camp, like you knew that team was going to take a big step back, but not quite like that. Um, you know, it's, it, I think that you could probably get more of a beat on individuals than maybe um, the team. And then like, you know, the individuals eventually, you know, kind of get to the, some of the parts situation there, but for the, I, I think you can spot real strengths and weaknesses. Um, sometimes they're different than what you thought. Um, a lot of times they kind of confirm, what we've been talking about for the previous nine months, but um, it for the for the most part, you can get a you get a pretty good sense of like what they are or what they're not going to be, um, you know, after two full practices and a bunch of half practices. Is there a season that comes to mind? You mentioned two thousand seven, where they surprised you in a good way, where you went through fall camp and you're like, oh, this seems going to be pretty good, and then they ended up being much better than you thought. Um, you know, two thousand five would be one where you're like you didn't really have a bunch of a sense of how good they could be. They'd been down for so long. Um, you know, 2012, you didn't think they could be at that level. Um, 2015, you knew that like that team had a chance to be great. Um, like I remember going to those camp practices and you're watching Will Fuller and Kavari Russell go up against one another and, you know, Stanley and McGlinchey. Yeah. You're just like, oh, wow. Like, I think you could make the case that that team was almost a disappointment given all the talent they had. Now, granted, yeah. a lot of that was due to injuries. Yeah, no doubt. I agree with that. It's I think that was the raw talent that was the most talented team, Brian Kelly. I mean, it's like Jalen Smith was on that team who took me, you know, five or six guys to get to. Um, and he was the best athlete out there. Um 2020 i you know we didn't see any of it um for obvious reasons but like you knew that team was going to be good um so i don't know that doesn't really apply to this one but i'd say like 2015 was the one where you're just you're watching camp you're like man i'm watching like I'm watching nfl matchups here in this college at this college campus um going through camp so it's uh that that would probably be the one where i was like wow this this team is going to be a lot better than i thought with that in mind, what are the biggest question marks you have about this team that should be answered, or at least you expect to have a pretty good grasp of by the time the season officially kicks off against Navy? Um, I I think the defensive line is my biggest question mark that maybe won't get answered in camp. Um, and I'm not sure that question is going to get answered all year. Um, I, that's that's sort of the tripwire for this team. Um, it's a you know defensive line is. After quarterback, that that would be my number two position for any championship roster to be built. Um, and Notre Dame has a great quarterback, but their defensive line has got big questions. So, you know, from an individual standpoint, grad transfer Thomas Harper at nickel over from Oklahoma State, can he sort of be like Tariq Bracy? That would be a, that would maybe change a little bit about how I saw Notre Dame's defense fitting together. Um, if Antonio Carter the second is legit at the safety opposite Xavier Watts, like. If you had though, if you came out of camp thinking like those two guys are are good enough to play at Notre Dame, I mean they don't need to be great, great. They just need to be Notre Dame level players. Um, 
to go with Hart and Morrison and Mickey and Watts. Uh, that might change uh, a little bit about how I felt about the team. And then, you know, offensively, you know, an, an offensive guard battle is not that exciting. But um, Notre Dame has to find two new guards. Uh, I think Billy Shroth will definitely be one of them. I think Andrew Kristoffic will start out as one of them too. So, I, you know, you're not going to get an evaluation out of uh, a guard who's not when they're not in pads. So maybe the second full open practice might be a better way to, to look at that, but you know, defensive line, some individuals in the state in the secondary, and then um, you know, how they put the offensive line together. uh, Those would be my biggest questions. So somewhat in the same vein, which players in the roster do you think will have the biggest impact on the team's success in 2023? Not named Sam Hartman. It doesn't have to be the five best, but whose performances yeah. are going to dictate how far the team is going to go? You know, it's. I think that, uh, I mean, Xavier Watts would be high on my list. Um, Cam Hart would be high on my list. And, I mean, Cam Hart is an interesting one because I think if you just if you just judge him by, like, weight room numbers and training numbers, you would think, all right, future pro easy like maybe day two pick um but he just he hasn't put it together on the field in a way that um i think he's got a chance to do it but he's got to stay healthy which has been an issue for him so that would be a big one for me um really i feel like some receiver is going to step up um if not two or three so can that be Great House? Can that be Deion Colsey? Um, you know, can Tobias Merriweather, you know, he's the most famous one catch receiver uh, in Notre Dame history. You know, can he be the sort of number one target that the staff thinks he can be? So I think you've got to see flashes from the receivers, um, downfield passes, 50-50 balls. And, that, and that's the kind of stuff you do get to see in camp. Um, we didn't see it in spring really at all, but I would like to see some of the, some receiver, if not two or three, make some, some downfield catches uh, on competitive balls from Sam Hartman. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. Notre Dame's got a lot of new faces coming in and true freshmen, guys they brought in via the transfer portal, plus some young guys who we've seen a little bit, like Tobias Merriweather, who you've seen him at practice little, not a ton of game action. So which players are you most excited to watch during these practices? Uh, I mean, Merriweather is way up there. Um, I don't feel like um, Audric Estime I need to see a whole lot to learn about, but I'm excited to watch him just because, I mean, he's like a, a... bear running through the the a gap so that that he would be high on my list um you know i i would say that uh i've been a big backer of riley mills for a couple years and he hasn't really like 
kicked on yeah. the way that you've got I thought a lot of stock would. in Riley Mills. Yeah, I bought a lot of stock in <laughs> Riley Mills, and I think I bought it maybe high. And I I need I need a return on investment here. But I, if there is going to be a breakout player on the defensive line, I think it's going to be him. I don't think there are really other candidates for it. Um, and so they need him to be very good at a minimum. Um, and I think it's like with the defensive line, you know, you have questions about the pass rush, you're losing Isaiah Foskey, but I also have pressure questions about like the interior stopping the run. Um, Riley Mills is really, I think the only guy, I mean, people joke about like, you know, who would be first off your bus if you're on a road game, like Riley Mills would be that guy, but like, I, I don't think there's a second one. Um, and that's, that's not, a great situation for the defensive line to be in. So I would like to see Mills make some dominant plays in camp. Um, he's flashed a little bit over the last couple of years in August, but make some more dominant plays in camp. And then, you know, then we'll see in September, October, November. Staying on Mills, how much do you attribute his, I don't want to say disappointment, I guess underwhelming compared to expectations. His 2022 season, how much do you attribute that to the position he played? Cause now he's moving back inside. Yeah, I think I think I had a lot to do with it. Um, I I can't think of any stories of players who were who were, you know, it's like some players are seen as versatile because they can do both really well, but then there are other players who are tweeners, and you feel that, and that's sort of pejorative. Like you you don't really thrive in either spot, and I feel like Mills got almost pushed more towards the tweener uh, role last year, where. And was not his best position, but they needed somebody to play there. Um, you know, I, I think that if the coaching staff could redo it, maybe they, they would not try that. But um, just to be a three technique, yeah, I mean, that's got to be Al Washington's hope that this, this is the reason he kicks on um, is because he can just focus on one spot where he can just maul people on the inside with his length uh, and, and force. So they, Notre Dame needs that in the worst way. Yeah, physically, he's got too much going for him at this point to not have a really productive season. He's got experience, too, and he's playing in his natural yep. position. So hopefully that stock is going to pay off here this season. But last year, Benjamin Morrison surprised us all and became arguably the best defensive back on the team by the end of the season during his freshman season. The year before that, it was Joe Alt who came in and steadied the offensive line as a true freshman. I'm not saying that you know anyone in this class is going to have quite the impact that those two guys have but who do you think will be the most impactful true freshman on the team this year hmm i mean it's it's all about like opportunity right because i yeah. i don't think anybody at the beginning of last year would have looked at ben morrison and said like this is the best freshman in the class but he had the best opportunity um you know with with jade and mickey and it's like you go down the list and i mean one of the guys this is probably a deeper cut um, and he may ultimately redshirt, um, but Bubakar Traore, the the edge rusher from Massachusetts, that got four star, six foot five, but like kind of a six seven wingspan type. Like Nordheim doesn't have a lot of those body types on the roster, so I could see that being one um, that the staff looks at if if he's physically ready to play. Um, and almost any other year, Christian Gray would be near the top of my list at, at corner because Notre Dame doesn't have great corners. Well, this year they have great corners. So there's, there might not be an opportunity there. And I guess like Jeremiah love is the second highest rated guy in the class. Um, there I've talked to some people that are kind of feel like he's a, he could be like a boomer bust type of player, um, track athlete in Kyle or in high school, um, super productive in, as high school football player as well. But, um, 
you know, how does he click on, how does he learn to be a running back where it's not just all about speed all the time that that might be the one where at the end of the year, people may say like, well, of course he was a top hundred prospect. What did you expect? But, um, I do think that there is a learning curve for Jeremiah love that, um, whether he gets to the end of that this year or not, um, is, is something that you got to at least acknowledge that, um, that would be a, a, a big development win for Dylan McCullough at running back. Yeah, I remember when he was being recruited, there were some people who thought maybe he was best suited to play wide receiver in college. But Notre Dame liked him at running back. That's where he's going to start the season. And uh, for the most part, I think we have a pretty good sense of who's going to start on both sides of the ball to start the year. But there are a few position battles. Um, you mentioned guard. I think the safety opposite Xavier Watts is still up for grabs. And then even wide receiver to, uh, to a lesser extent is somewhat of a battle just to get in that rotation. So how do you see those positions shaking out? And is there another position I haven't mentioned that you think might be up for grabs? Um, you know, what they do, receiver is definitely interesting. And it's, it's kind of one of those positions where like, I think that they have five or six options, so they just need to figure out who the four best are and roll with it. Um, like, there have been times where you've covered Notre Dame and you feel like, all right, they need six receivers, uh, but they only have two. Um, like, how is this going to work? So I don't, I don't think they're going to run into that this year. Um, I this is you know kind of a nerdy depth chart uh, curiosity of mine, but Love like it. backup linebackers, like. I, I'm not advocating anyone's going to knock Bertrand or Kaiser out of the lineup, but um, you know, I've heard really good things about Drake Bowen this summer um, as like sort of a Bertrand type of cerebral player, like kind of a football nerd. Um, but he's bigger and quicker and all those things more than Bertrand was. So, you know, Maris Leifau, what, where are his reps? Jalen Seed, what do they do with him? Um, you know, that's those are all curiosities of mine um that like might not impact how the team plays this year because i don't think bertrand and kaiser and leofau are going to come off the field a whole lot but they got to figure out what they have there and that's like the the position battle that probably will matter the least this year but matters the most is who's the backup to sam hartman um because not only do you have to make an evaluation of just to fill out a depth chart if sam hartman gets hurt you have to know whether Angeli and or Minchie are good enough to roll forward in 24 or you need to find the next Sam Hartman because you can't bank on CJ Carr to come in. That would be sort of uh, depth chart malpractice um, to, to bank on a high school kid to start, um, you know, from day one. So you got to you got to figure out, can Angeli and Minchie play? Um, can they start their first start at Texas A&M in 2024? And if you come away and think, uh, I got questions, then if you're Marcus Freeman, I would hope that he would have learned in year one. If you have questions about your quarterback position, that means you need to go get another quarterback, which he did in year two. So that that is a sneaky part of August that I'm very interested to talk to Marcus Freeman about. He may be like, why the heck are you asking me about backup quarterbacks on day one? But like, they have to get a good evaluation there. And it's like, there are only so many reps to go around and you got a lot to get sorted out, but you have to at least be aware of like, all right, we got to figure out what we have in Minchie and Angeli. Yeah. And if 22 taught us anything, it's that having a good backup quarterback is pretty damn important sometimes. Yeah. Uh, especially as it was for Notre Dame last year. And I want to preface this next question by saying, I know teams are always going to project some level of optimism around this time of year, because that's what you're supposed to do. 
Everyone's undefeated before the season starts. There's not going to be a single coach in America who, after his first practices, goes to the mic and is like, you know, it's not looking good for us this year. That's never going to happen. But based on the conversations you've had with people in the program, how would you describe the belief internally about what this team can accomplish? And do you think it's legitimate? I think it's it's a pretty optimistic program right now, um, much more so than it was last year. I think there was, I don't want to say people were leery of year one with Freeman, but it was just sort of a crapshoot of like, what are we going to get? I don't know. There's like, so many Mike, unknowns. Michael Mayer is great. After that, no idea. Um, this year, I think there's, there's a earned optimism about uh, how good the team could be. And it's like, they were... Thinking back, like when they went to Ohio State, weren't they like ranked? I think they're ranked sixth. Um, th- I think this team is much better than that one. Um, but they're they're probably going to be at the bi- the back of the top twenty, maybe around fifteen, um, just because of the quarterback position. So i I think that Sam Hartman is worth two more wins than what Pine and Buckner would have been at at a minimum. Um, so that is. And that's why I sort of get like, I know there's been, I've, I've sort of read um, and heard some people talk about like, well, you know, Marcus Freeman's still growing as a coach. And like, you know, if they go eight and four, it's not the end of the world. And I'm just like, hold up. You got Sam Hartman for one year. Like it doesn't need to be the end of the world, but that would be a massive, massive disappointment to me. Uh, if Notre Dame only won eight games in the regular season, um, or frankly, or if they just repeated last season, I think that would be a, a huge disappointment. So uh, I, I think there's, they were, I wish they were a little bit better on the defensive line, um, but I think the rest of the roster is in pretty good shape to, to, to push for kind of a 10-win season. You mentioned the defensive line. Last year with the wide receivers, it was such a glaringly obvious problem. You just had to look at the numbers, and even the coaching staff was like, yeah, this – this isn't great. Chancey Stuckey was like, I have to slow these guys down and practice. They can't be doing too many reps because otherwise I'm just going to burn them out. Does the coaching staff have that uh, a similar mindset to the defensive line where they're kind of being cautious about it not really saying that much publicly, but it's clear they have some concerns? Um, I don't think so. And I sort of disagree with them about it. Um, <laughs> like, I think they should have some concerns. Um, I think that banking on sort of Jason Anye to like hold up uh, when he hasn't played any really any snaps in his career is, I mean, it's optimistic. They're going to have to have probably two Benjamin Morrison types of stories on the defensive line this year. I think for, for the line to be good enough to make a push for the playoff. Um, and I, you could have like, Maybe one Benjamin Morrison story and a Jonas Gray slash Asmer Bilal story of like the career journeyman yeah. who just hasn't played a lot. Um, and then like, oh, this guy's good. Um, but they really need two surprise stories at that position. And that's like not a healthy spot to be like, that's not, you don't want that. Um, I, I mean, I get it. Like the, the numbers at safety were bad and they went out and got Antonio Carter. They brought in Thomas Harper um, and now they're fine. And I, I, Javante Jean-Baptiste, we'll see what he can deliver as sort of a strong side end. He looks good, but we haven't seen him do anything because he didn't really participate in the spring practices we attended. So it, uh, I I think the Marcus Freeman is not going to come out and say, like, our defensive line is a mess. 
However, um, I do think that he knows that getting pass rush from the defensive line is not going to be a thing that happens regularly like it did last year with Isaiah Foskey. Um, and they may have to, you know, does it make sense to play 11 guys and really stretch the depth of it so you're fresher, but because you don't have an elite guy, it doesn't, the drop off between one and three isn't as big. I, I don't know how you sort of make the best of that situation, but that might be one way to approach it. You've written a lot about what Marcus Freeman learned in his first year as head coach and his growth heading into year two. Uh, is there anything you're looking to see from him or the staff over these next few weeks of practice that would indicate growth from the previous year? Um, I don't think that that's going to show itself in August. I know that they're, they'll be practicing more this year than they did last year. I mean, talking to some of the coaches um, over the summer, they had remarked like kind of had a short camp last year. Like it, it just, I mean, it it's just starting very early, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's the, the week zero stuff, but I think just like they packed it more into these four weeks. Um, so that, that might be part of it. Um, they went out and got a quarterback. That's part of it. Uh, but then it's like, how does he handle messaging in the season when things get a little sideways? Like, hopefully they will have not lost their second game by week two, uh, where messaging becomes really important. But, um, you know, how they how they handle recovery. Um, I know they're doing some things a little bit differently. I'm not entirely sure what they are, but I'm just it's like talking to people at Notre Dame, like the the focus on recovery after games. Cause like you think about Ohio state, come back a day later, playing trouble in Columbus, totally flat against Marshall BYU in Vegas night game, get back three, four in the morning, Stanford the next week, totally flat. Um, so that, I think that will be an example of something Marcus Freeman will have learned. I, I can't sit here and tell you exactly how that will come to, fruition and like what that will mean but um he certainly looks at last season as yeah there were some successes but he's been pretty frank about like you got to learn from the failures and if you don't like you're you're sort of wasting your time and your your program's time both coordinators are going to be under the microscope this season uh for different reasons for jared parker he's got the benefit of having sam hartman at quarterback but with that obviously comes higher expectations not to mention the public debacle that led to his promotion, which will undoubtedly lead to increased scrutiny whenever he makes a mistake, whether that's fair or not, it's, it's just true. And then with Al Golden, I would say fans seem to be more critical about his ability to, to recruit than what his defense actually did on the field in 2022. But I think some of that angst about him will carry over into this season. Which coordinator do you think is under more pressure to succeed in 2023? I think it's Parker. Um, I think he's set up to succeed more than Al Golden is as well. So it's like it, there's the circumstances of his promotion, which were weird. Um, and then it's the fact you have Sam Hartman to play with for one year. So you better take advantage of it right now. Um, also, this is the best offensive tackle combination he's ever going to have. So how do you strike when your roster is set up to be potentially great on offense? Like it's, Notre Dame's never averaged 40 points a game on offense before, I don't believe. Um, this could be a team that threatens that. So I I think whoever was the offensive coordinator, whether it was Al Golden, or not Al Golden, Tommy Reese. If Al Golden was the offensive coordinator, I'm not sure they would have scored 40 points. So I know they tried that with Chuck Martin in the past. But, you know, if whether it was Andy Ludwig um, or Colin Klein or, or 
Jared Parker or Tommy Reese had stayed, like I think this offense would have been very, very good. Um, so it's on Al Golden to take advantage of that. I think with or uh, yeah, it's Jared Parker to take advantage of that with with Al Golden. Um, I think the defense is probably better than people gave it credit for last year. I think if you just went through the 13 games, like how how many games did they play well enough to win on defense? Yeah. 10, 11? I mean, outside of USC uh, and that safety blitz against Ohio State, oh, that was a pretty good year. Um, so now you don't have Isaiah Foskey, um, Adela Molo twins. It's it's a lighter defensive line. You may have to get a little bit more creative, but maybe you can do that when you have a Bertrand and Kaiser fifth-year senior combination of linebackers inside. Yeah, if you look at it statistically, I think Narain was like 39th in scoring defense last year. That's not great, but it's not terrible either. It just felt like whenever they absolutely needed to stop, like that one drive against Marshall, uh, it they just couldn't convert, and they were loud misses, and I think that's why some fans uh, felt a little bit dissatisfied with what the defense put out there last year. But I had heard some stuff too that when Al Golden was hired that the complexities of his defense and the transition – uh, going from Freeman to Al Golden it was actually a little bit tougher than we had anticipated. Did you get that sense? Yeah, I do. I, I think that Golden has sort of admitted it without coming out and admitting it that like he had to take a bunch of stuff out. Like there was just too much there. Um, and I think that, you know, Al Golden had a little bit more of an NFL mentality to defense. Um, and, and maybe having a Bertrand and Kaiser, a linebacker, allowed you to do a bunch of stuff. But more than your linebackers have to know what the heck's going on. Um, and I think that, I mean, you even go back to that Marshall game uh, when they went down and drove in the fourth quarter, there was like a third and 10 or third and 12 or Ramon Henderson clearly just is not sure what he's doing. Uh, the run gets outside and they pick up this huge third down conversion on third long. They end up going down and scoring a touchdown. So those kinds of busts, to me spoke to like, you're doing a, you're, we're doing a little too much here. Um, so how, how he dials that back, can he dial that back? Um, you know, I think sometimes these coaches with NFL backgrounds get in love with their own schemes. Sometimes Notre Dame has felt the brunt of that with the Brian Van Gorder era. But, I wasn't uh, going to say it. You did. Yeah, <laughs> just like, just like, let's do less. Um, let's do less better. And that, Year, year two should help you with that because everyone sort of knows how the pieces fit together and really the back seven of the defense should pretty much know what's going on all the time. It, that, that should be a very experienced group. Now that this chaotic and at times truly bizarre offseason is finally coming to an end, how would you describe your level of excitement and intrigue going into this fall camp where the focus will actually be on the football again and not <laughs> renovations to the Goog, NIL, apparel deals and all that? Yeah, I it is nice to sort of table all that for four months. Um, just, well, until I, that apparel deal comes out. Yeah, that I, hopefully that will be a one-day story and we can just move on. Um, but uh, I would say that, I mean, my, th my three favorite moments of the football season are walking into the first practice of training camp, the five minutes before opening kickoff of week one, and when I touch down in California on Thanksgiving weekend and see the Pacific Ocean for the first time. So... I mean, I love August. Uh, I love getting back. It's like back to school, but if school was awesome, um, <laughs> you know, to, to see college football and sort of be immersed in it. So I, I think it's fantastic. I, and I think this team will be really good. I, I'm probably more bullish on this team than maybe some other people, but um, 
that probably leads into some of the intrigue and like wanting to get out there and tell these stories and see how it develops and see what Sam Hartman actually looks like, um, you know, when bullets are flying a little bit more. So yeah, it's there. And it's like, I wouldn't say this every year. Like there have been teams where when training camp started, I'm like, Oh God, like you just knew it was going to be a slog from the start. (laughs) Um, And some of those teams turned out to be pretty good. Uh, but they weren't fun to cover. I think this will be a fun team to cover and a good team. So this is this team should have a lot going for it. Okay, last question before we let you go, and it's sort of on that note. Uh, involves a bit of story time. I said at the top, this is your 23rd fall camp on the Notre Dame beat. What are some of the most memorable moments from preseason practice that you can recall? And this can be positive or negative. Uh, Kyle Hamilton's three picks in the opening practice was pretty impressive. Um, it's decent, yeah. That. That was definitely up there. Uh, seeing Manti Teo for the first time uh, in person was up there. I just couldn't believe how big he was. Uh, Kyle Rudolph would also be up there because it was just like, oh, you just walked off the set of American Gladiators and now you're Notre <laughs> Dame's freshman tight end. So, uh, so those would definitely be up there. Negatives. Um, I remember seeing Darnell Yule, who was a four-star defensive lineman, he could not make it through the first practice. Uh, and you're just like, oh, okay. Like this is this is probably not going to go very well. Ultimately, never played. I think he was the the top, either the first or the second rated guy in the class that had Cole Komet and Brock Wright in it. Um, and it just just never clicked on. There's the infamous Brandon Wimbush practice in the stadium where he was struggling to hit the net. Um, and ultimately, I heard that Chip Long chewed out Tommy Reese for doing that and for letting the media see that happen. Um, <laughs> because it, it was just like, you know, this is not like a great look for everybody here. Um, so th- those would be way up there. Um, man, it's had a lot of a lot of training camps. Like, I feel like it's usually individual stuff like that. Um, opposed to like something that was like, Oh my gosh, this team is incredible. And I never saw this coming. Um, but you got these sort of individual stories where it's like, that guy's really good. Or there are times where you watch a freshman in his first practice and think that's a miss. Um, <laughs> it, which is, I, I know that sounds harsh. No, I, I get your point. There are just times you're just like, Oh, okay. That's not how I thought that was going to look at all. Um, and then there are times where you see Kyle Hamilton and you're like, all right, you're a three and out player. No problem here. Like you could be a two and out player if it was allowed. All right. Well, I'll have to ask you for your yes or no on every single true freshman after the first practice coming out of this, but he is Pete <laughs> Sampson, the pen of Notre Dame football, as he's been called among the fan base. You could follow him on Twitter. I, I don't know if it's still Twitter. Is it X now? I think it's, I don't know. I think we're going to stick with Twitter, at least for the purposes of this All podcast. Right. Either way, his handle is at Pete Sampson underscore. And if you're not subscribed to The Athletic uh, to read his work, get it together and do that now because he's the best on the beat. Pete, thanks again for the time. Try to stay cool when you're out there on the practice fields this week. I heard it's going to be a hot one. All right. Thanks, Tyler. I will. That'll do it for this episode of Locked On Irish. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. By the time you're listening to this, I'll be in Indianapolis for Big Ten Media Days, but I will be back later this week with some observations after Notre Dame's first couple of practices. Make sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you can stay up to date on all of those episodes. And follow the show on Twitter, at Locked On Irish, on Instagram, at Locked On Irish Pod, and my personal Twitter account, at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. I'll talk to you soon.